0: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Eric Corrine of The Athletic, and we go, as you would expect with his excellent work, in-depth on the Toronto Raptors, a team that continues to confound and interest me. We go through how the season has gone so far, takeaways there, Scotty Barnes' season, Siakam, the trade deadline, Nick Nurse's future, so many different conversations to have with this team and conversation is brought to you by betonline.ag use the clns50 promo code to get yourself a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit episode runs a little bit under an hour but a lot of great stuff in here that's all on one team so we we go into a lot of detail there and i hope you enjoy it thank you so much for coming on
1: no problem how's it going
0: Doing pretty well. I like doing a podcast around the halfway point with a team that I'm still having trouble figuring out. And one of those teams for me is the Raptors. You, of course, follow them more closely. And what I wanted to start with is, do you think this is a hard team to figure out? Or is it something that as you're watching them closely, you're sussing out more clearly?
1: Um, I don't think... Why they've struggled is particularly hard to figure out. How much they can fix that with the roster they have and the uh, the sort of tools at their disposal. That's what I have more trouble with. If that makes sense. The reason they struggle is because they're very bad at you know making the shots they take, and when their opponents take shots. They hit them at a very high rate. Like, if you just look at effective field goal uh, percentage for and against, they are among the worst in both. So, you know, it's not that complicated from that perspective. The defense, of course, uh, relies a ton on creating turnovers uh, in which the Raptors continue to be uh, one of the best teams in the league by that metric. But I believe last time I checked, only the Spurs were allowing a higher... uh, Effective field goal percentage. uh, And the Spurs are not interested in winning basketball games. So, um, my guess on that end is it's a combination of more teams thinking more outside the box and the Raptors' schemes maybe not being as difficult to prepare for because you're seeing them both with the Raptors but a little more throughout the league. Uh, And uh, yes, that would be the main thing with the defense, the offense. Uh, was never, especially in the half court, as we know, uh, never a strength to begin with. Uh, Fred VanVleet is having his worst shooting year uh, since he's been a constant in the rotation. Uh, Scotty Barnes has definitely, uh, his shooting has not come along and and he's had times fitting uh, where he has struggled to fit in. And it's not a particularly deep team. So if you have two of your four or five main guys who uh, are performing under expectations, you're going to perform under expectations. And, And that's sort of where we are now.
0: I think that's a really good summation uh, of where they are. And the part of it that you identified and that I thought about preseason a lot is this idea. I mean, I fixated on this concept last year, which was that the Toronto Raptors were relatively successful offensively, if you want to think about it in the macro sense. So in the cleaning the glass version, they were 16th in the league. Incidentally, they are 17th right now. um, Higher offensive environment so far this year, despite being a well, well, well below average first-shot half-court offense. And you, you brought that up, and last year they were 26th. This year they're 29th. And how last year's team and this year's team have done that is by playing less in the half court and by doing other things like trying to get offensive rebounds and get to the foul line, ideally, which they've done better this year, when Siakam has been more healthy. And so I, I think that on the offensive end, the, it, it, you're right. I think it's not it's not a particularly huge surprise, especially when you get into the factor of player availability, because this roster, not the greatest at creating advantages and depending on the personnel, not always the greatest at converting the advantages that are created. The, the, some of the personnel groupings that they get out there, and so I guess from that perspective, I I think this isn't you know it being seventeenth as I mentioned is not a huge surprise. I think it's just that some of the lulls they've had have just been even from somebody who has zero investment in how they in how they do as a national writer, dispiriting. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, not to psychoanalyze you, unless you're interested in that, but I, I think, like, as, you know, taking my, my, myself away from the job, the thing that's dispiriting about it is the Raptors are, like, somewhat of a stylistic outlier, and as basketball observers or basketball fans, you know, styles make fights, and the idea of this weird Raptors team uh, becoming a really good team is interesting to consider when you know a lot of the complaints which might be overblown but i think there's an element of truth to them is that uh you know styles are becoming more homogenized there's more sameness you know more spread pick and roll more four or five out lineups etc etc so you know the raptors getting bogged down and not being able to overcome uh, sort of their half-court problems that were obvious last year is is a bit of a bummer and, you know, if you want to dissect it a bit, I think, like, OG Ananobi and Gary Trent are, are turning it around since they've recovered from their respective injuries and they're getting closer to their Averages as, as three point shooters. Fred Van Vliet, has just, like I said, has just not had a good three point year. Precious Achua, when he's played, his threes that were evident in the second half of last season have completely disappeared. Uh, with Chris Boucher, it's more looking like his one good shooting season, the one the Tampa year, uh, is the outlier and not the other way around. Um, and uh, Otto Porter, uh, who we just found out is out for the year, uh, was supposed to at least provide a little bit of spacing for uh, your main creators to be able to create. And Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and and even Fred VanVleet to an extent, those are guys who like to dribble a bit, like to survey. There's not a whole lot of pick and roll going on. They're, you know, isolating more than mo- almost any team. Uh, they probably shouldn't be, but they are. That's something that hasn't changed. And... Um, The shooting just has the the long range shooting, but, you know, it's not like they're a good shooting team from any range has really thwarted any attempts to get any momentum going. I will say, uh, verging on a long answer, the, the the most few recent games with Scottie Barnes sort of acting as a facilitator in the quote unquote center role, either looking to hand off and screen or using the space that drop back defensive centers are giving him to you know, take a dribble or two and then kick out to threes that they haven't been events against the best teams, but the ball movement to my eyes has looked a bit better. Uh, and against Charlotte, again, not the best defensive team or offensive team. They knocked down a season high 23. So, you know, mild reason for optimism, but that's all it is at this point.
0: Yeah. The, the idea that they can be better than they have been is a completely fair one. And I, I agree with that. And we've seen it, as you said, over the last couple of weeks. And I watched a, a portion of the game against the Hornets on when on sorry, Tuesday night and it did look it did look better there. And a part of it is, you know, you're relying heavily on players who are capable but aren't the most dynamic when we're talking about offense overall in the league. And I, I pulled the numbers as the as NBA.com defines them. Everybody has does play type data a little bit differently. The Toronto Raptors, this is the part that I think is really interesting. So they're, I think it's like eighth in frequency if you're doing it as a proportion of possessions. But they're also the least effective in terms of points per possession isolation team of the high volume teams. And that's not really a huge surprise when you think about, you know, Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant. Like those teams isolate a lot and they have really, really good ISO players. And the other kind of part of the offense that I think has been a little bit harder is that there was some optimism last year. And and again, we're halfway through the season. There's a lot that can change that maybe internal improvement could get them where they go and and i think that lends itself into a discussion of Scotty Barnes and Barnes won rookie of the year last year showed some encouraging signs i've never been as optimistic on him as some but he definitely was better in his rookie year than i anticipated deserves an immense amount of credit for that it has it, it certainly appears from from my perspective like it has been a struggle for him not only in terms of kind of finding the place to fit in but also just getting the shots to go down
1: yeah. Um, the Raptors, since he came here, and I think this is part of you know a good process with them and knowing what type of player he is, how he enjoys playing basketball, and, and what makes him sort of thrive and have fun on the court. They've pushed him to shoot basically as much as possible because... He loves passing. He, like, he, you know, wants to, like, I'm not quoting him, but, like, he likes being a point guard type player or a distributor before being a scorer. And the Raptors are smart enough to know, okay, that's fine. But your dribble and your, you know, explosiveness aren't quite at the levels where you're going to be able to maximize that skill unless you're proving that you're, you know, capable off the bounce that you can hit the odd jumper. So they, you know, I think that aggressiveness turned into him taking way too many long twos to begin the year. Those have mostly disappeared as the season has gone on. But yeah, his touch around the rim hasn't been what it was last year. Uh, He's certainly taking it into sort of one-on-one, you know, you know contested layup areas uh not right not right at the rim but you know deep paint or uh like that it hasn't been going down with quite the frequency and his jump shot hasn't come along there there were ta- especially earlier in the year his catch and shoot threes looked good but that hasn't sustained in any real way um and beyond that like there is a simplicity to, you know, and it's a bad example, but like Cade Cunningham goes to Detroit and it's his team. And there's nobody questioning that he's going to run however many pick and rolls game he wants. He's going to learn through error. Pascal Siakam comes to a good team or sorry, Scotty Barnes comes to a good team and that's great because you don't have to rush anything and you can do a little bit at a time and you can work on everything a little bit and that's great. Um, But that also means you have to figure out how to fit in at different times. And I think that's been the struggle, um, especially with the season that Siakam's having Uh, it's, tough to find a lot of opportunities for Barnes to thrive in the spots. Like, they can give the ball to him all they want at the top of the key, but that hasn't proven to be a particularly effective place for him to have the ball and create, uh, just because he's not able to use... Either the space or use his dribble to create a lot of uh, you know momentum for his team. So I do like uh, it was something I was very curious and and about was him using him more as a screener uh, and using him more on the short roll. Uh, they're doing a, certainly a lot more of that lately. I think it will yield dividends as the season goes on. But yeah, it's been a, it's been pretty awkward. The Raptors offense at the best of times last year was pretty awkward. And uh, it's looked even more so this season.
0: One of the basic differentiators that I like to use, whether we're especially young players, could be in high school, could be in college, could be in the pros. As they progress is basically being on ball is great if you can actually be good at it. And there are a lot of different ways that talented players can maximize it. You could be a really, really good passer. You could be dynamic, you know, have great, great handle like Kyrie Irving does. You could have changes of speed, which is something I think is gets underappreciated with Luka Doncic, who also, of course, does a billion other things well. And. Really what it's about to adapt the parlance of my podcast partner, Nate Duncan, is creating an advantage. And there are lots of different ways you can do that. And if a player does not, and I'm not going to say cannot, because that can always change with time. If a player does not create those advantages regularly enough at at that moment in time or beyond, depending on the circumstance, then you probably want to play them off the ball more often just because you have somebody who can do that better. And one of the challenges when you're developing a talented young player in those stages, as you were talking about, is you're both evaluating and trying to give reps, and you brought up the jump shot. And I think that's what makes this interesting, is that—so one of the ways this works sometimes, and Kawhi I, uh, undoubtedly has been used an example, especially because he's one of the greater development success stories for a wing-sized guy recently— is he was more of an off-ball shooter in the earlier stages, got the ball more to a lesser extent. That was true with Jalen Brown and a few others as well. But part of the concern for Barnes is that the jump shot hasn't been there just yet. And so it's the idea is like, well, if you take him off-ball, how's that going to work too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why at least involving him in some more primary actions and maybe running more pick and roll, even if he's the screener more often than not, can utilize his talent because like he is a big strong dude like even at 21 he has a lot of size and uh he can go up and finish when he gets to those spots but he needs to realize the situation he's in the the you know the jump shot for me in year number 2 like it's a big deal for the raptors but it's not a big deal to me in terms of his you know, ceiling or whatever. It's not, it would be nice if he were hitting them more regularly, but it's not a huge thing. Like the thing I think he really needed coming into this year was a bit more ball handling, just, just, and and it's hard with that type of body. It's hard with like, you know, it's easier to be a great, you know, ball handler at Kyrie Irving size or uh, with, jar of morant's speed and size than it is with you know arms the the same wingspan that allows him to potentially be a, a huge difference maker defensively it becomes tougher to do that um uh to be a great ball handler offensively but i think like what he's lacking most right now to maximize that vision and i do believe that he has you know, excellent borderline elite passing vision um, is that ability to dribble in tight spaces. Um, so whether it's through, you know, ball handling or his shot, he has to find a way uh, and the Raptors have to help him find a way. I'm not absolving them of, of their uh, responsibility too uh, to create more space. For him, because eventually, like you know, passing is his preternatural best skill, uh, and he just—you have to find a way to maximize that. And again, they're—they're they're just not there yet, and you would have hoped they and he were further along with it but look this this stuff happens sometimes and it's uh, again not the most shooting in the world either to create space for him to, uh, to drive in uh, so it's been a, a perfect storm of uh, of poor uh, of a poor I guess it's just been a poor environment as it turns out for him to get better at those things and uh, he didn't nail what he needed to nail in the summer either
0: it's also a reminder that development is a multi-year project and it's not linear it's not yeah. Exponential. <laughs> it, it depends on the player, it can, and, and it can take multiple years, and whether you know, you want to get into the people who are very disappointed in a player like Mike Conley early on, and sometimes you're disappointed in a player, and that disappointment ends up being correct. Like It's hard, it's hard to know right now, and I wanted to, to turn, since we're already talking about Barnes, to his defense. What I, well, you talked about, and I agree with you in terms of the the conceptual physical potential. How have you? What is your evaluation of how that has been in in practice, like you know, in games so far this year?
1: I think he's been a poor on ball perimeter defender, and he's been a strong behind the scenes weak side defender. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm certainly not smart enough to know if a if a guy's stance is pro is problematic and you need to change it in order to be a good defender. But like his stance for defending quicker players just doesn't like he's too upright. That that's what it looks like to me. Um, and he doesn't have that, you know, electric foot speed, uh, to make up for it. Sometimes like he can, he'll have moments where he can use that wingspan, uh, and that length to really bother some of the smaller guards, uh, but more and more that's either been Fred Van Vliet's job and he hasn't been great as the point of attack defender this year either, or that's OG and job. And that's fine. But like part of the idea of having so many like sized, multi-skilled forwards is they can change defensive assignments and everybody's gonna have on both sides is gonna have their super, super strength and and their not so much of a strength, but you know, you you would hope that they're all good enough in every area that they can switch more or less without a problem. Uh and yeah, he he has seemed like I think he's a pretty attentive and, and certainly can create some turnovers on the back end. Um he's Probably, you know, a bit, he just isn't there yet as a rim protector type, like he's not that aware that he's in the right spot every time. And that's the, you know, part of the ongoing project six, nine, do they need a center business that we can discuss if you want. Um but I would say, yeah, he's, he's a lot more stro- he's a lot better defender against bigger, stronger players than smaller, quicker ones, despite having that length that you know could in theory bother them. Uh, he, he's just not there in terms of foot speed right now.
0: It also kind of aligns at, and I often see this with players where the strengths on offense and defense are actually more more together, and with Barnes, what I've liked most about him defensively has been his recognition. And it's not surprising that a guy who is a good passer can recognize what is going on pretty well. And the limitations, you brought up the handle, but also he doesn't have, as you said, the greatest, the greatest first step. His slide is is all right. I don't think of it as superlative. Yeah. There, there are other players on the Raptors who have really good slide and everything else. It's a part of why their defense has been so good in the past. And you're right that as things are right now— Barnes is better suited in kind of that help capacity because you can see what's going on. You can be there and hopefully in time he can adapt some of that into being a more consistent deterrent or even ideally shot blocker in time. And the question then becomes, I mean, because really when, and the Raptors change schemes a lot, is one of the ideas behind a switching approach is that you're forcing the other team into more isolations. And slowing things down and everything else but the downside of that is you need to actually defend all those guys in isolation and so how everything fits together is there but again it's a work in progress i'm very interested to see where barnes is this is age 21 season when he's 23 24 what are the strengths and weaknesses of his defensive game because i i liked but didn't love the film on him there and it's been interesting to see where things have where things have gone for him in the early going. Still lots of room though. And I agree with you. I think he might be adapting more into a power forward, like a quote un not a traditional one, but like more in the lines of that rather than like the Swiss Army Knife kind of players that the Raptors have cultivated more than basically anybody else recently.
1: Yeah, and, like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, uh, and I still think he has, certainly offensively, he should have the tools, I think, to be a pretty damn versatile player. Um, Like, he's flashed enough in terms of, like, you know, more basic things like primacy and big moments. He had that huge... Fourth quarter against Milwaukee, uh, in which nobody could shoot worth a damn for the whole game, and then all of a sudden Scotty Barnes, who... Didn't score, didn't have a field goal going into the fourth quarter. Ended up with the most field goals in the entire game of an of an overtime game. Frankly, that said more about that particular game than Scotty, but uh, <laughs> it, it it did say a bunch about Scotty as well. He had a game in Brooklyn last year where like he was going shot for shot with Kevin Durant for a while. Like I think you know th- those are some of the softer, more momentary things that. Like, I'm not going to give up on this guy as a potential so- star and, you know, superstar. Like, I think that's still very much on the table. And even though this year of development hasn't gone great, even though, you know, there were there were very legitimate reasons to be skeptical of him coming into the NBA, like it's not like those things didn't happen and aren't real. So there are those things. Um, Yeah. I mean, you said it right. Development isn't linear. And I can see him coming back with a better handle and a better three point shot. And that next year all he's missing is really that perimeter defense, or I can see him continuing to struggle with the things he's currently struggling with. Like, it's it's really hard to tell. The Raptors, uh, I I mean, I wrote a piece criticizing their recent development, but their overall track record is very strong. And, you know, if Barnes is game, and I, I don't see why he wouldn't be, I don't, you know, the chances are the Raptors are going to get, you know, close to his best possible outcome. And uh, it's just about him being on board with that plan and them providing him enough reps to be able to fail and succeed in a number of different ways to develop that type of versatility. But, you know, again, not everybody has to have the developmental arc of Pascal Siakam. It's, it's okay.
0: (laughs) It is. And also Barnes is still younger. I'm a little less optimistic overall than you are, but the reasons to believe are still there. Like that's, that's totally fair at this point. Since you brought it up, I looked into, and I just found this so fascinating, with with Presto Shua. So worth noting, of course, that he has not played as much during the first half of this year as, as anyone would have liked. Only 17 games so far has missed a bunch of time. Presto Shua, during the first half of last year, made 31% of his threes, taking less, you know, one point something per game. I'm, I'm doing some of this just very off the cuff. Then after the All-Star break... on threes, taking roughly three of them per game. And then so far this year, 21% taking 2.3 per game. And that, I mean, I've found Precious Chua both one of the most fascinating players and also one of the hardest players to figure out offensively. And it seems like that's just going to continue for time immemorial.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'd say about two or three times a year, a Raptor does something so infuriating that like i will throw my pen at like the stats monitor uh and so tuesday night we're recording this on wednesday tuesday night uh precious achua got the ball i, I forgot if he got the rebounder it was just the outlet pass on in transition got the ball got a screen as he got into the ha- uh onto the you know offensive side of the court didn't use the screen uh Sort of did a pretty lazy foray into the paint and sort of threw, uh, you know, an over his own head layup hookshot mash thing um, <laughs> over two hordets uh it, it hit like not quite the top of the backboard but you know getting close to the top of the backboard and that was the possession it, and, it, it's like
0: when you uh, hit the wrong button on the video game controller and you're just like oh yeah, crap
1: and that led to said pen throwing uh a few i, I think chris Boucher took one of his you know well contested three-pointers that missed uh Nick Nurse called a timeout, and all year long, because the Raptors bench has been so poor, in part because Precious Achua hasn't been available, um called a timeout I really thought like they were getting pulled, both Achua and Boucher, who sometimes are a package deal with the Raptors. Instead, Nurse rolled with them, and that's something that a lot of people have wanted to see him at least try to do because you know, playing your starters thirty eight to forty minutes a night over eighty two games is a good way to make sure they don't play 82 games. Uh so he rolled with them and achua knocked down a few threes. He was driving in control, uh, you know, strong power moves that even like even though his finishing touch isn't that great, like he he's so athletic and has so much burst that his miss like completely drew a ton of uh a ton of uh, two or three defenders and left Christian Coloco for a wide open putback dunk. And I guess what's hard about it is it's tough to square somebody who is so athletically gifted, uh, who can really, like, legitimately look like a smooth, small forward at times, look so awkward at other times, uh, and whether that's because of just his decision-making or because he hasn't refined his, you know, handle in certain spots on the floor, I, I'm not entirely positive he is he's a show like his best his most memorable games are i'll put them aside anybody's most memorable game <laughs> from a, a sheer entertainment value i was really high on him coming into the year i think his defensive potential is you know second only to og and Obi on this team um he moves his feet just so well uh i still think there's a really good player in there Uh, He had a bad start, had a serious ankle injury, is just now getting back into uh, his rhythm. I'm I'm keeping my precious Achua stock, I think.
0: I am too, and Achua, the defensive concepts are just so fascinating I thought last year he was one of the more eye-opening defensive bench players in the league. And the ability to impact, you know, to impact shots, but also to defend on the perimeter, like to do all those things. Like You'll roll those dice, you'll give him extra time to make it work, and this is only Achua's age 23 season. The offense is a fascinating work in progress, and it's also, you brought up the point about like the playmaking, and Achua stands out, as somebody who watches the whole league, because he does these things as a player who is often playing the four and the five where you can see players get latitude explore the studio space when they're smaller sometimes especially if they have those on-ball chops maybe it's because they were in college or they've done it at another point in their career and you're just kind of like okay but when it works it works and so it's it's very interesting with him i i continue to be intrigued and like i mentioned with scotty Barnes, i'm trying to figure out what Preston shoe is going to be a couple of years from now, and nothing will surprise me. That's just the way this works. (laughs) Well, I guess, okay, there is one thing that would surprise me. It's just him being like... but, but like buttoned up the buttoned up basketball equivalent where he just doesn't make any turnovers, doesn't do any of that like that. There's always going to be something in this, but outside of that, like whether he's a force or he's just still a curio, like every once in a while, when I watch a Chua play offense, I think about Anthony Randolph, somebody that I covered early in my media <laughs> career. And the analogy that I made with Anthony Randolph, when he had the ball in the break, what I said was it's basically like you roll a die and whatever it turns up on he's gonna do, but it's completely context independent. So like he'll pass he'll like he'll push the pass button, but there'll be nobody there, or he'll push the shoot button and it'll be that be a weird shot. And there's some of that in Precious Chew as well, which at times is endearing and fascinating, and at times if if you're Nick Nurse or this coaching staff, have to be mind boggling.
1: Yeah, and there were times, especially last year, where I was like well this has been cute but it's the second half of the season have him screen roll take wide open threes that's it uh, but the Raptors like a lot of you could say uh, like I have my qualms with the idea of like betting uh, of investing so heavily into transition that you're you know you're putting a lot of your eggs into what's never going to be more than 25% of your offensive possessions but for the time being it makes sense that the Raptors do what they can to get out in transition. And part of that is empowering as many players to grab the ball and go with without having to look for, you know, Fred Van Vliet or even Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes, just, you know, go. And I think he's the guy who does it most and has the, you know, with the least or with the highest range of outcomes, as we just said, that's going to be a, that's going to be a theme for a while with him, I think. But I think the moments where it works, like it's not like it seems like a fluke when it works. Like right. he has enough body, he has enough body control and enough athleticism that it's not like, oh my god, I can't believe that worked. It's like, oh yeah, he looks he looks the part. It's just that him looking the part is not consistent. It's not the he can't do this part now. Whereas Chris Boucher, when he pulls off an end to end break, like I'm a bit surprised. Yes.
0: Yeah. Sure. 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 <laughs> Plenty more Raptors topics to discuss with Eric Corrine, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bull season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. So head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Nate and I did awards uh, about a week ago and one of our longest discussions was about Pascal Siakam in All-NBA. And this gets into evaluating everybody else in the league. But, and, and I, I kind of want to ask you a little bit independently of that, but just what have you thought of his season so far?
1: I think he's been awesome. Um, I think doing what he's doing in the offensive context and what he's doing it is really damn hard. I think he's, I haven't checked like the sort of tracking data that measures how much guys move, uh, but I imagine of non-point guards, and Siakam is like at, at times a point guard or at least primary initiator of the offense, he's got to be moving among the most when you factor in how much he has the ball, how much he's asked to do on that, and how much the Raptors' aggressive defensive schemes ask him to move. Uh, he's got to be near the top of that. Um, I, I think, you know, he's he's clearly not... In the top tier of players there are certain games and that milwaukee game stands out and look if there's a game for pascal siakam that's going to be problematic it's when Giannis antetokounmpo is guarding you and Brook lopez is protecting the rim that's pretty hard to get to your you know your bev- your bevy of spin moves and post moves and floater range type shots that's going to be hard for him um so he can be occasionally taken out of games and you know to the point where you don't necessarily see that from the league's very, very best offensive players. But I think of in terms of guys who just have to do almost everything for their, for their teams. Like I think he's been behind Ananobi, probably the second best defender on this team, at least heavy minutes wise. He's certainly been the second best defender on this team. And I've been a bit skeptical of the defensive reputation he's had in the past. I think he's been a lot better this year, uh, last year as well. Um, I haven't done a deep dive on All-NBA. I think he's a no-brainer as an all-star. And after Tatum, Durant, who's of course injured, and Giannis, uh, you know, I'm probably putting LeBron over him right now. And then... With forwards, I'm not sure, just off the top of my head again, I'm not sure there's anybody who's obviously been better than him.
0: You and I are of a similar mind on this, and the context, I think, is extremely important. And the Raptors offense has, you know, their round league average overall this year, but they've been much, much better than that when Pascal Siakam's been on the floor. And he is the lead. He's the lead engine when he's out there. And especially like the Raptors offense being as successful as they have in the Siakam on Van Vliet off minutes. Yes, Fred Van Vliet is having the worst year of this phase of his career. But like the Raptors have in about 700 cleaning the glass possessions a 119.6 offensive rating when Siakam and is on and, and Fred Van Vliet is off. And it's like, well, he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. Are the other players that are on the floor, typically it's like two of Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent, and Malachi Flint. And it's like, if you're asking them to do, those guys are not as capable as Siakam is doing heavy lifting. Now, it is fair to note that those lineups have shot surprisingly well overall, and that is context that, that matters because you wonder if there'll be regression in the mean. think yeah. I think he has been he's been good defensively. I, I think and I that has continued to progress on that end. And so yeah, I think that the body of work is, is really impressive and it's hard with a lot of these players to kind of suss it out and it's funny there have been a number of them, like Jimmy Butler's this too, where the team the team overall is less successful on one end of the four than we would have expected, but that's mostly because of the time they haven't played rather than the time that they do. And so, yeah, I I think that's a really – it's a really fascinating argument, and I understand why at first blush, especially as the Raptors are currently, as we record this, five games under 500. why it's like, well, why would the best player on a team like that be? It's like, well, the reason that they haven't been as good isn't Pascal Siakam, and I generally don't hold that against a player because the team isn't doing quite as well.
1: Yeah, like – and this is where I get back to like talk, talking, topping, talking. If I can talk, talking about the top tier of players. Yeah, like your Luka Doncic's, your Jason Tatum this year, your Giannis Antetokounmpo, the level they're playing, it's going to be hard for those teams to not be over 500 like irrespective of context unless like it's absolutely abysmal. And you know, the Mavericks have certainly flirted with that at, at times and are just a few games over 500, I believe. Um so he's not he's not there, but like when you look at what this guy does in the ecosystem in which he has to do it like i think he's one of the i think he's like brilliant in transition uh there was a time there a few games ago where like he was making every play in transition and he seemed like one notch behind Giannis and just like being unstoppable when he was on the move maybe fatigue's getting him you know a little bit since then um i i think like again this is one of the best development stories This might sound hyperbolic to people. I don't think it is like it's one of the best development stories in NBA history. And I think he's, you know, one of the best 15 player 15 players going right now. And uh, if you think all 15 of the best players should be able to carry their teams to great seasons, all the more power to you. I, I guess I just fundamentally disagree with that.
0: It's a lot to ask, and it's also, you know, but we're dealing with a half-season sample. Let's see where the Raptors are towards the end of the year, and that kind of ties in with the other big-picture topic that I wanted to discuss with you. We're roughly a month from the trade deadline, and um, Tim Bontemps wrote a good piece. I've talked about this in various capacities. It seems like, especially many of us in the national media, have talked about this for the Raptors for years, which is the question of, what do you want from, like, as this is typically more of an ownership decision than a front office decision though the two are obviously communicating and there can be persuasion involved but let's start with how your your read on how how it will perform in reality and then i want to get into because i'm very interested in your personal evaluation of this too you take everything that that has happened to the raptors whatever sample you want to do the last three years last four years last two years whatever you want this is definitely a decision point, because you have Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. looking at player options after this year, Siakam is going to be eligible for an extension after this year, Ananobi has another year, we don't even know if an extension is viable with him, but basically, this... Not. this, not.
1: Like, he he will not sign... I, I would he be stunned if he did. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, that means for Masai Ujiri and for, for ownership and everything else, this trade deadline, and to a lesser extent depending on some of these option decisions the 23 offseason are key points to evaluate where you are and to make moves accordingly and so there there are two extremes and then there are there's a lot of ground in between so one extreme is you know the the mass sell off and you trade you know the the Raptors are in an unusual situation where if they wanted to do that, they have a lot of players that teams around the league would really like and would give up material things for it. Then you have the other extreme, which you could argue the most extreme there is like you actually add. And so you give up some of the things that you have, potentially future assets as well, and get better. And then there's a middle ground where you don't do much. You see where things are, or you make smaller moves along the margins. And so that's why like to set the table, it's just like the Raptors, the universe of, of paths for for them is larger than any other team in the NBA, in my opinion, for this for the this yeah. deadline line.
1: Yeah. And Tim, Tim referred to it as optionality. And I think that's a fair way to look at it. They can they can go in a lot of different directions without much trouble.
0: So what is your read on how the decision makers who actually are making the decisions are will read the situation?
1: So I think they'll let January play out. Uh, it's They have a seven game Western Conference road stand or road trip, homestand road trip Um, to end January going into February. uh, No seven game Western Conference road trip is easy, and this one isn't either. Um, They have some winnable games before that. I think, you know, if you're asking me to you know, sort of assume they'll go 500 until the trade deadline because that that would sort of be the most likely type scenario is I think they would probably trade one of Fred or, or Gary Trent Jr., whichever is sort of the better value play just because like their depth or lack thereof, has really been exploited, and that comes from you know not having a bunch of draft picks, from not hitting on second round picks and and undrafted signings the way they did in between 2014 and 2018. That comes from letting four members of your championship team uh, walk away in free agency because you were either trying to keep that championship team together or you were trying to create cap space for the Giannis Antetokounmpo free agency of 2021 that never happened. Uh, and I, uh, this is, like, I, I think I sound like a smartass here. I, I don't fault them for any of this. Like, sure. Ms. Masai Ujiri said he wants to continue to win championships and be a championship contender, though, you know, the best way to do that is to keep your championship core together. The second best way is to try and import a player who is a championship contender unto him, himself. And... Uh, so, like, I don't fault them, but, like, it does, when four of your rotation players from your championship team leave for no return, it's going to leave you with depth problems that reverberate for years to come. And that's sort of what's happening. So, I don't think they're going to, because they can't, because ownership, I'm not going to say can't, but I don't even think Masayu Jerry would really ask ownership to pay into the luxury tax for a team that hasn't flirted with championship contention with this core, um... I think they sort of have to make a decision between Van Vliet and Trent uh, and use the other one to refurbish uh, and restock a bit of their depth, whether it's through young players on on rookie contracts or draft picks and the like. Um, I think they will, if they're in that position, they will listen on everybody. I think for a variety of reasons, it's a lot easier to move OG Ananobi than Pascal Siakam. Um, even though Ananobi is the younger player, I I think he will, I, I know he will be harder to extend and he has the, like he's in his, he'll be 26 after the year, not to say he's done as a developmental product, but in general, the more usage he's been given, the less efficient his offensive game has gotten, uh, So I think we're sort of, not that we've seen the best of OG Ananobi, but we know what kind of player type he will be if he's being maximized, I guess, uh, within a winning concept. Uh, I don't think they will move OG Ananobi at the trade deadline, but I think they will be more willing to move him at the trade deadline if that scenario plays out. So that's how I see it going down. Um, There is something to be said about, like, the Raptors... A, because of the play-in tournament and just more parity in general, there are more teams that fancy themselves championship contenders or at least deep-run contenders than ever. That makes it a seller's market. Uh, And the Raptors will have, in Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet probably, and Trent, four of the better players that could hypothetically be available. This is, like, from a pure let's derive value out of trade situation, it might not get better than this. I don't think I would be willing to trade Siakam for anything but the freaking moon, but... I think they owe it to themselves, given what I think will play out at the trade deadline, the sort of atmosphere the market will be existing in. I think they've got to seriously listen on, on everybody. Um, so I might be a little more aggressive in selling than I think the Raptors will be, is what I'm trying to say.
0: The moon would add a lot of gravity to Toronto's offense. <laughs> but but I think your point at the end about... Jamari,
1: we already had the Jamari on moon experience. moon that,
0: so, experience. That, that's uh, very true. Yeah. Your point at the end about this being an unusually strong seller's market, I think, is is so fascinating and important for this. And and the idea of well well what are you gonna do? And I think the other element of this is assessing what this team is and where they're going. I mean you mentioned that OG Ananobi, you know, this is his age twenty this is his age twenty-five season, he'll be twenty-six in the offseason. I do not expect him to fundamentally transform as a player. He's a very good player, but you don't expect, you know, like right now, OG Ananobi, twenty-one usage. You don't think he's gonna be a twenty-eight usage guy like when Siaka made that jump. I think that was in eighteen that was in nineteen twenty. And, yeah. you know, th- it doesn't happen very often, but I don't think it's gonna happen for OG Ananobi. That is not a scathing criticism. I love OG Ananobi but that's just that's probably not the basketball player he is because if if he was going to be that he would he it would have happened we would have seen more signs so the question that ownership that the front office has to deal with is what kind of team are you comfortable being and it's so hard when they you know the idea that they were potentially like one move away and then it got that move and won a championship and so it's like well they, they are in that mode like if they could add a player you know that could that could really push this that could make life easier on Siakam that could make this offense significantly more viable well then maybe you could potentially do it but those those moves are extremely rare the the equivalent of a quiet trade happens so rarely that you not only is the player available, but you have the assets that the other team is looking for. Like those are just, you know, that's, that's, it's like an eclipse on an eclipse on a, on a double rainbow. Like it's just, that's just how these things happen. And you have to appreciate that for what it is, just like a wonderful player development story. Like these, those are a little bit more common, but it gets into this fundamental question of, Okay. So like let's say they trade and I agree with you that because of the what it's going to cost eventually to keep this team together, retaining Siakam Van Vliet, Trent, and Ananobi is a lot to ask, especially Barnes will eventually get his new contract too. Seems like he is a priority for the organization at least at the moment. So if that's where you are, so you're probably going to lose one of those players and there can be plenty of internal improvement. There could be years that they're better than this, but it's, you know, do you expect that core over the next three to four years to make a conference finals, to win a conference finals, to win an NBA finals? It's a lot to ask. It's possible, but it's a lot to ask. And so... I use the term defining success a lot because I think it's the most important thing that these decisions rely upon, as as long as front offices are being honest, ownership and front offices are being honest with themselves. And the funny part about that, I always talk about how important it is, is that there aren't necessarily right or wrong answers. It's just that you have to be honest with yourself. And I don't know, I'm not tapped in enough with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, or even Maasai or anybody else to say how happy, let's say my assessment is right. And the Raptors can be perennially in playoff contention and they can win a round or two, maybe make a conference finals, but probably like I wouldn't expect them to win, to win a title in the next few years absent a major, major move, is that good enough? And you could say yes and I would completely support it. You could say no and I completely support it. But knowing what you feel about that kind of a team is so important because everybody thinks that their team is amazing. And you could look at some of the big the big moves that happened in the last offseason and maybe teams thought they were going beyond that point. But you need to know what you feel about where you are.
1: For sure. And I think like your point about the Kawhi Lunar trade is, you know, an important one uh it's also important to remember that it sort of shaped how things went here and yeah. like not that they expect it to come along again but like the raptors were able to be good for a long long time uh without falling off and then the move presented itself. Now we remember the Kawhi saga, we remember why they were able to get him nothing to discredit these guys or draft pick, but for DeMar DeRozan, uh Jakob pertle and a late first round draft pick, but like that's not the going rate of superstars. Like it, it's <laughs> not. And uh it it wasn't before then, it hasn't been since then, and the reason it was at that point is unlikely to repeat itself. I think, like, you know, Masai Nigeria has been open. He wants to win another championship in Toronto, but I don't think he's going to, he's not the type to make every single move to maximize that possibility like uh, like you know that's sort of what was behind the process is like we are going to do everything to maximize our ability to get superstars which are the best conduits to winning a title eventually i don't think that's really in his dna he's he's too competitive uh that's not to say he wouldn't tear it down if the right opportunity came along but that's what i meant when i was talking about trading siakam like it would really have to be the right opportunity so i think the most likely scenario is again one of van vliet or trent is traded if ananobi's not traded at the deadline and again i'm predicting he's not he's probably moved in the offseason uh you know, probably as strong, but definitely you know as in trade discussions, they get another high a decently high draft pick and see how a reconstituted team that's hopefully a bit deeper uh, with a uh, Scotty Barnes, who's hopefully further along on his development curve uh performs so that's what I would expect, but As you started this conversation, it's certainly true to say it could, you know, the only thing right now I would be very surprised at is like an aggressive buying mood. I I think this team right now, they're like, there's almost no way they'll be in the position to justify, you know, trading picks and future assets to add to it.
0: I've already kept you longer than I said I was going to, but I want to ask one more question. Um, Do you, I, Nick Nurse? There have been times that it, it seemed like his his voice might be a little like that that it, the the bloom that was on there, especially after they won the championship in nineteen, or like is his voice carrying in the room? But just like, do you feel like his tenure is going to continue for for a lot longer? Do you think that it's shaky ground? Like, how how are you assessing it right now? <laughs>
1: Um, I don't think this year has been good for almost anybody except for Siakam. Uh, So, you know, there's plenty to criticize from the coaching staff. There's probably more to criticize from the front office. Uh, I, like, I think foundationally, this is one of the more functional organizations in the NBA. I don't think it's fake what we've been saying over the last few years that this is, you know, there is no perfect organization, but this one works pretty damn well. And sort of the lack of dysfunction off the court during what's been a pretty disappointing season, I think speaks to that a little bit. I think, you know, it'd be whether, you know, the the Raptors are competing down the stretch or not. I think Nick Nurse is going to have to take a long look at some of his defensive schemes and some of the team's offensive principles and reassess them. Um, I, I don't think he's like a system coach. I think he can be pretty adaptable. I don't think he's always been that way. And, to, you know, you know this stuff. It's tough to to untangle that from the roster he has to work with. oh yeah, And it's, it's a constant fight for me to try and do and do it fairly. Uh, And it, you know, always seems like I get it wrong somehow, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's just my self deprecation.
0: I Um, mean, there there are a few things that are harder in this league than assessing coaches and especially, and, and thinking of it as coaching staffs and sometimes parsing that can get really complicated. And then the other part of it is whether it's, a coach who was maligned, often justifiably, I think of Jason Kidd there, they, you know, coaches adapt over the years, just like players do, and they can get better. Sometimes they can be stuck in the, sometimes the the, the game can pass them by, like all these things can happen. And so assessing them is extremely difficult. But as you mentioned, the consistency of the organization is, has been, has been notable. And I mean, you get into the, the direction and like, I think some of the Raptors, their execution game to game when I've watched them has been a little bit lower than I would have expected given their continuity. But they have had a lot of unavail- uh, unavailable players at different points of time, and so that can affect it as well.
1: Yeah, the the biggest thing for me this year, like just like the biggest surprise, and to take it back to the beginning, is the defense and they're going to have to they've already made some changes like in transition they've uh, at least with certain lineups so they have started running back to basically spaces on the floor as opposed to matching up man to man and and that's shown you know reasonable improvement over the past handful of games but i think you know you're gonna have to have a longer conversation both as it relates to you know whether such an aggressive defense makes sense Uh, over the course of an 82-game season and whether this roster supports that. Um, And those decisions, you know, if we're giving the Raptors credit for being a good organization, those decisions have to be made in concert. Like, that's the way this should work. Harder said than done, for sure... Uh, easier said than done that's the phrase Um, but to answer your question after talking around it I I think nurse will will be here will be with the raptors for a while Uh, I think he and Masai Ujiri are both strong personalities they can both be a little stubborn but I think ultimately they're two of the you know most creative and thoughtful in terms of what they do and how they do it and they should be able to push one another um, to really adapt. And I, that's, how, that's sort of how I would bet on the organization. I would bet on them not getting stuck in because they do, like all, like all of us, have a little tendency towards stubbornness.
0: For sure. I think that's a, a great way of putting it, and I will thank you so much for taking the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Be well. Thanks again to Eric Corrine for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic, and you can also follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at E-Corrine, E-K-O-R-E-E-N. Loved having him on and getting his perspective on this Raptors squad, not only their present, but their future. It's, as I mentioned talking to him in the beginning, it's a team that I'm still having some trouble figuring out, and so loved working through that with Eric. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, wherever. And you can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in whatever podcast player you choose or word of mouth, social media, however you want to do it, help other people. Real GM Radio has been around a long time, but there are still people who are finding out that it exists or finding out that they like it. So I appreciate everything people do to make that happen. But the single most important thing you can do to support this show and any other podcast that has them is to check out our sponsors. And for this episode, that is Bet Online ag use the clns50 promo code awesome benefit for you a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit and it also tells them you came from us so hopefully they continue advertising on this fair podcast you can also check out my other work dunked on and dunked on prime are going strong five times a week but then you add in with dunked on prime john hollinger dan feldman's fantastic daily dunks seth Partnos, nerd not noshes which are fantastic and love being a part of the Overall, it's not a monolith, but what it, con- content, content factory. Uh, that seems a little bit impersonal, but whatever on that note. That's enough riffing there. And also, you can check out the NBA strategy stream, which Nate and I do through League Pass. We're actually taking this coming week off due to travel, but we will be back. The following Monday, and that should be a lot of fun. You can check it out. You could also we had really a fun broadcast on Monday with the Bucks and the Knicks. Really fascinating game. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic have a lot of irons in the fire right now i have two pieces that are basically ready to submit but then i'm also working on another bigger one which may actually come out before those so we're working through publishing timing and all that fun stuff but there should be more for me from the athletic and of course you should also read eric's excellent work there too if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent Larue nba at gmail.com is the way to get to me i guarantee you that i will read it don't always reply but i try and that is all for now so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day (music) We'll <music>